You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Norway's southern and eastern regional health authority suffers a breach. False civil defense alerts are mistakes, not hacks, but they're worth attention. Davos will take up international conflict and cybersecurity next week. Banking Trojan Exobot holds a going-out-of-business sale. The Satori botnet rifles cryptocurrency wallets. And was BitConnect's collapse a Ponzi scheme, a pump-and-dump, or something else? I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, January 18th, 2018. The odd and apparently unrelated series of attacks against medical facilities and systems continues. Norway's Southern and Eastern Regional Health Authority is reported to have been breached, apparently by hackers after personal information. Data on about 3 million Norwegians are believed to have been exposed. Japan joined Hawaii with a false missile launch alert as North Korean nuclear sable-rattling continues to put local civil defense teeth on edge. Broadcaster NHK mistakenly issued, then quickly retracted, a missile warning on Tuesday. Both the Hawaiian and Japanese cases are being put down credibly to operator error and not a cyber attack. But as is normally the case with accidents and glitches, people are now thinking about the possibility and implications of emergency warning system hacks. Who would do such a thing and why, you may ask? Popular Mechanics has a speculative piece up that lays out several motives. There's no obvious ordinary criminal angle to this, criminal in the sense of people executing this kind of hack for financial gain, but there are other kinds of crimes too. Symantec mentions joyriding as one. Instead of stealing a car and racing to destruction before you abandon it, Cyber joyriders hack a system in ways that will disrupt people's lives or frighten them, and they're doing it just for the lulls. A disgruntled insider might hack an alert system, or a hacktivist might think doing so would give them a big, big megaphone. Or a nation-state could do it because they want to sow chaos and mistrust, or in what would be a more sinister ploy, do it as a battle space preparation so people would ignore warnings of actual attacks. In any case, may operators of emergency alert networks look to their systems, and particularly their user interfaces. Davos convenes next week, and discussion of global conflict and cyber risk are expected to figure prominently in the meetings of what the shatter brokers would call the wealthy elite. And where, we ask in passing, are the brokers these days? Someone take away their deep-scanning security software? At any rate, the World Economic Forum has issued a resiliency playbook for general consideration. It comes in two parts, a reference architecture for public-private collaboration and cyber policy models. The playbook takes up 14 policy topics and analyzes them in terms of their impact on five areas, security, privacy, economic value, accountability, and fairness. It's intended to be an approach any nation could adapt to its own particular values. 
Web application firewall provider Imperva recently published a report, The State of Web Application Vulnerabilities in 2017. Joining us to review their findings is Nadav Avital, who leads the application vulnerability research team at Imperva. 2017 was a record year in terms of volume of capacity. There were much more vulnerabilities published during the 2017s than recent years. Looking at the numbers, you see a big spike. And so what were some of the uh, specific trends that you saw? First of all, cross-site scripting is a well-known vulnerability. had a big increase in terms of uh, numbers. The thing is that cross-site scripting is one of the most basic security vulnerabilities in web applications. And it's very easy to test and to find. Most of the cross-site scripting vulnerabilities were found in open source products, hmm. which of course makes it easier to, you know, to dig inside the code and find uh, these kind of uh, vulnerabilities. So this is a potential explanation to this that we saw. And you, you also uh, saw uh, issues with IoT devices as well as uh, WordPress and PHP. Can you take us through those? Last year was a huge year in terms of uh, IoT vulnerabilities. I'm talking about the Mirai uh, botnet. So we wanted to know or to, to look into IoT vulnerabilities. And what we saw that there's also a, a growing trend of vulnerabilities published in, in the IoT landscape. The most of them are coming from the family of authentication bypass uh, using uh, default credentials or easy to guess credentials in order to log into devices, take over devices. And and this is actually what kind of what happened uh, with the Mirai botnet. So as we head into 2018, uh, 2018 being here, what are your recommendations for folks to protect themselves? The key finding is that, you know, vulnerabilities, uh, web application vulnerabilities are always on the rise. And it's very difficult for organizations to keep up with that. Now, most of the organizations, they don't have a dedicated person or team to stay on top of this. And even if they do, it's very hard to patch your systems or to deploy, to, to upgrade your systems, especially in a production environment where, we're, where you have or you don't have any downtime or maintenance windows. So essentially, the, the best way to deal with this flood of uh, vulnerabilities is to deploy external security solutions that can solve the problem for you without any need for a change in your systems. This is actually what web application firewall can do for you if you decide to, to use it. That's Nadav Avital from Imperva. You can read their report, The State of Web Application Vulnerabilities in 2017, on their website. Say, friend, interested in a banking Trojan? There's a going out of business sale in the black market souks. Yeah, step right up. Terms are available. The Exobot Android Banking Trojan, for the last few years a popular rental in the criminal-to-criminal space, can now be yours. Divestments, sell-offs, spin-outs, and so on happen in criminal as well as legitimate markets. In this case, it's not that the boss is on vacation and they've all gone crazy, just that the authors feel they've made enough of a pile and are going to get out while the getting's good. Thus, the author of the Exobot Android Banking Trojan, initially called Marcher by some researchers, 
has decided to cash out and exit the market by offering the source code for sale. The Trojan, which is generally regarded as a particularly successful one, has hitherto been leased to other criminals on a monthly basis. This isn't particularly good news. We can expect a fair bit of sloppy criminal activity until Exobot finally sputters out. Campaigns are expected to spike as the source code moves from a criminal-to-criminal to a wholesale market. We know the Satori botnet as one derived from Mirai, and we know that Mirai was initially used for distributed denial-of-service attacks. Satori is now being used for more directly gainful crime. A Satori botnet is actively and successfully stealing from cryptocurrency wallets. But wait, friend, you say you want to be a Bitcoin billionaire? Well, have you considered one of the other altcoins out there? You, madam, do you want a better, more comfortable life? You, sir, are you looking for a way out of the rat race? Why, then, irresponsible speculation and dodgy cryptocurrency schemes may be just the thing for you. Here, take some brochures to read at that Jersey Shore timeshare you've invested in. They're profusely illustrated. But not so fast. Actually, one of those opportunities for irresponsible speculation, BitConnect, the cryptocurrency exchange widely derided as a Ponzi scheme, has, as we know, closed. And there's more. People have looked back at what the Federal Reserve used to call irrational exuberance in cryptocurrency markets last month, and they're now wondering whether a certain YouTube star, one Crypto Nick, might have made a significant contribution to the speculative bubble. Crypto Nick says he's a 17-year-old crypto millionaire, and he's been flacking BitConnect for some time. A lot of disgruntled YouTube watchers are now wondering whether Mr. Nick was engaged in a pump-and-dump scheme. In any case, he's as bummed as anyone. Here's what he said after BitConnect imploded Tuesday. Quote, I honestly can't believe this happened, guys. Like I said, it's been a great platform and it's officially coming to an end. No more BitConnect to anyone who's always hated on the platform. I'm still shocked. I'm still trying to take this all in. I really don't have much to say. End quote. We think the best advice on this and related matters was the disclaimer that accompanied Crypto Nick's performances. Quote, I am not a financial advisor, nor am I giving financial advice. I am sharing my biased opinion based off speculation. You should not take my opinion as financial advice. You should always do your research before making any investment. End quote. Tell it, brother. So there you have it, friends. Act now. Everyone's a winner. Actual results may vary. Nigerian prince is not included. You are unlikely to be invited to Davos. Offer not valid in Alaska, Hawaii, and Fort Meade, Maryland. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber.
In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Emily Wilson. She's the Director of Analysis at Terbium Labs. Emily, a couple of events uh, on the horizon that are on your radar. We've got the Korean Olympics coming up, and we've also got the midterm elections. Uh, What is in common between these two things, and uh, why do you have your eye on them? Well, it is the beginning of the year, and we're all thinking about kind of what's going to happen. I think we're going to see some cyber. I think we're going to see some security, and I'm not sure yet what the ratio is going to be between those two. But Hmm. I think these two events give us a chance to compare to uh, similar events we saw a couple of years ago, right? Back in 2016, we had the Rio Olympics, and we obviously had a pretty big presidential election here in the U.S. So on the Olympic side, I think this is an interesting kind of regional comparison. Mm -hmm. With Brazil, we saw a lot of personal information being leaked, both from citizens and from government employees. And that came out of a lot of new actors popping up, a lot of economic unrest in Brazil leading up to the Olympics. This was a big six-month campaign with a lot of information being leaked every day. Hmm. Korea, very different situation. We're seeing different kinds of threats. We're seeing different kinds of actors involved, right? This is a lot less on personal information leaking and a lot more at the nation-state level. Oh, interesting. I, I remember also with uh, with Brazil, we saw uh, lots of warnings about carrying your personal devices, your, you know, people getting um, uh, your credit cards skimmed and things like that. Yeah, and I think we've also we've seen in, in a lot of reports and also just in some of the work that we do, right, there's a growing community in South America for these kinds of concerns, whether it's uh, fraud or some of these more, you know, vandalism style attacks. I think we're just seeing different interests and different calculations in East Asia. And how about the election? The election's an interesting one because it is a midterm election, so we're probably not going to see leaked information from delegates, for example, Mm. um, like we saw during the presidential election, you know, some of these factors have been removed. But I'm curious to see kind of as we get into these campaigns, especially some of the more contested seats, are we going to see information being leaked about candidates and their families? Are we going to see people leaking information about parties or maybe specific voters? We've heard a lot in the past couple of years about voter databases being compromised, You know, recently, just in the past month or so, we heard about another uh, database in California. I'm curious to see how all of this plays out and what we see kind of happening openly and what we see behind the scenes. So what what about this notion that when we talk about uh, the Russians interfering with the last presidential cycle, this notion that it it really doesn't matter so much what they're doing as the, the fact that they're doing it creates chaos and uncertainty? 
I think there's a lot to be said for compromising trust in a system, mm. whether that is the integrity of elections, whether that is the integrity of communications, uh, the integrity of media sources. I think it's not necessarily, to your point, uh, what kind of chaos you create so much as that you create chaos. I think all of us, regardless of politics, are going into this midterm election with a few different things in mind, maybe a few different expectations, a few different biases, and I think that changes the way these games are played. Yeah, interesting times for sure. All right, Emily Wilson, thanks for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.